Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ever dance with the devil in the pale Inconceivable! Cowabunga! I thought this was a party! It's two Moskis and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. All right, well, uh, welcome everybody to Two Nerdskies in a Podcast, where you get nothing, sir! Good day, you lose! Good day, sir! <laughs> and uh, we're the one show where we like to talk about pop culture and entertainment with Two Nerdskies. And uh, yeah, so this is one of them. This is Eric. And this is Jeff. And uh, we've got we've got a classic, to say the least, to, that we're going to discuss today for sure. Fuck yeah, we do. Uh, it is the works of Roald Dahl and his 1977 classic, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's 1971, actually. But why did I always, for whatever reason, I felt it was made in the late 70s. I don't know why, but. Um, See, people, I'm working, I'm working with a fucking amateur here. <laughs> Anyways, though, um, before we actually get started, a little bit of uh, something that um, I would actually like to discuss. So, uh-oh. So here at Two Nerdskis in a Podcast, we like to, you know, we're all about pop culture and entertainment, right? Um, and part of it, I feel like, is we would like to acknowledge all the people that have been a part of pop culture and entertainment throughout the years. Writers, actors, producers, editors, directors. And I feel like this is the place to discuss one of them. Um um, we weren't able to talk about him prior in our last recording because um, that was done prior to his passing. But um, it's high time that we give homage and um, and pay our respects to one Richard Donner. Um, if you have never seen his works, you have at least heard of his works. This is the man who made you believe that a man could fly. He gave you Superman and Superman 2, technically the director's cut. He gave you The Goonies. He gave you um, Lethal Weapon. All of four of them, yeah. So this is this is a man who is very much a staple in all of pop culture and entertainment. Like, he truly is, or truly was, um, a force to be reckon, reckoned with. Um, and even if you've never seen his movies... You definitely know his works. Um, um, I think the first thing I ever really saw that was anything by Donner was I th- was definitely I think it was def I think it was the Goonies, um, and it, obviously the Goonies. It's a classic staple of nineteen eighties uh, film. Um, it's an adventure film. It's a family film. Um, it's seen seen all these like kids together going and doing like adventurous things in Seattle. No, not Seattle, but Washington or somewhere in the Northwest. Um, and then you have, of course, Superman. Um, and what's not, what has, what's been said about Superman that hasn't been said. Um, uh, you know, this movie jump started Christopher Reeve's career. It's the modern, um, it is the modern uh, superhero movie that all superhero movies are modeled after. 
Um, and of course, Lethal Weapon, uh, one of the greatest or one of the most memorable action film series ever made. Um, and then also from what I from what I see here um, it is because of Richard Donner that we actually have the X-Men franchise. He was the executive producer on the very first one. And apparently he did do <laughs> X-Men Origins Wolverine. So eh, you can't win them all. But um, so Jeff, what are what are, what is your like earliest memory of anything Richard Donner? So I actually have not seen a majority of his films until later into my uh, teenage uh, slash young adult years. Uh, Cause I, I didn't grow, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the Goonies or Superman. Uh, so I, uh, especially watching them now as an adult, I, I, I keep kicking myself in the ass. Cause I'm like, fuck, I would have loved these as a kid. But his first movie I saw was actually the Omen. And oh, that's right. He directed that movie. I forgot. Yeah. That movie is uh, it's fucking terrifying. And that's what made me. And uh, when I, I was kind of taken aback when I saw it because I couldn't believe this is the same guy that directed Superman and the Goonies. It's all for and, you, Damien. <laughs> and later on when I, uh, you know, started seeing more of his films, you know, when it came to Superman, he nailed the suit, the superhero genre. Then when it came to the Goonies, he completely nailed the that uh, classic adventure uh, pirate swashbuckler, and you know, perf- you know, made one of the you know staples of '80s action with Lethal Weapon. Pretty much everything that he, whatever genre that he tapped into, he he just fucking nailed it, and. Yeah, it. Uh, I would say that he was one of the last great directors, and it. Uh, it's. I mean, he he lived to be ninety one, so that's undeniably an extraordinary life. But, uh, you know, even though death is inevitable in life, it. Uh, when they do pass, you reflect on their work, and it uh, it makes you appreciate it all the more especially compared to how movies are now. And I mean, especially when you watch, uh, you know, the original Superman, something about it just has that timeless charm, that movie magic that you just don't see anymore. And I hope that, you know, as more generations, uh, you know, go by in time, they, they don't forget classics like those from uh, from that very special era of cinema history that Richard Donner undeniably had a irreparable contribution towards. So rest in peace, Richard Donner. Well, it's, it's fitting that you mentioned Superman because, I mean, there's no denying the impact that Superman has had on all of the superhero genre, but... I mentioned I mean, yeah, earlier. I mean, yeah, like yeah, with without that, you know, you wouldn't you know, the studio wouldn't have confidence to greenlight something like 89 Batman. Mm-hmm. And then that kicks off the superhero trend of the 90s and then you know, that segues into the modern comic book age. But you always have to look at the source. Superman. So Superman. Do you remember the first time you watched Superman? Yeah, it was actually uh just a, a few years ago. 
uh, I saw it for the first time, and I didn't know what to expect. And the moment the the titles kicked in, uh, with uh, with that powerful whoosh with all the credits and John Williams' incredible theme playing, it just it put a smile on my face. You know, it's it's one of the greatest openings to any movie. It's one of the most powerful themes ever ever scored for a film. It uh, and you know Christopher Reeve's performance. He's Superman. He is fucking Superman, and you know I think you know Henry Cavill you know does a does a pretty solid job. Uh, you know Brandon Routh did what he could. Uh, you know all the no disrespect to you know all the, all other interpretations of Clark Kent and Superman, but. It's Christopher fucking Reeve. Well, I would say, I would say the one that comes the closest to really cementing himself as Superman after Christopher Reeve would actually be Tom Welling as Clark in Smallville. I've been rewatching yeah, the series, and yeah, I've actually uh, never seen Smallville. Smallville yeah. is actually surprising. It's I remember because I I used to watch Smallville back in the day. Um, as a kid, actually, it was my grandmother who surprisingly got me into the show. Um, and I, I used to watch. So I definitely started watching Smallville on my own uh, during middle school. I finally caught up with it. This was like so the show came out in 2001. That show and the show ended in 2011. So it ran for 10 years. So, yeah, Tom Welling is, has definitely played technically Superman the longest. But um, th- what's neat is that in episode in no season two um there's i forget what the episode's called but it's the episode where clark finally learns about his kryptonian heritage in full and um the scientist who he he speaks to is virgil swan and the science and virgil swan is played by christopher reeve they had asked him personally wow if they if he wanted to appear on the show and I, i guess he had watched the show and he was a fan of it and in a way, it's like a nice passing of the torch from oh, absolutely. Superman I, to a new cause, generation. Because he, because uh, that would have been what two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, around that time. Because yeah, he I think he passed away in two thousand four. So I imagine that was one of his final performances. One, yeah, definitely one of them. Um, but you know what? Even when he, even when he, he's paraplegic. And um, and he has that appearance still, even then you can you can tell just how charismatic, just how um, just how much emotion is uh, coming out of him. And, you know, I don't think it's really because of Richard Donner that that Christopher Reeve is a household name. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean. Because they, um, I think it was Richard Donner who vouched for Christopher Reeve after seeing his audition, because they wanted, uh, you know, they auditioned hundreds, if not thousands, of actors, mm-hmm. uh, some pretty big A-listers too at the time, and at the time, uh, Christopher Reeve was just some guy on Broadway, so casting him for what was at the time the most expensive movie ever made was a tremendous risk and it undeniably paid off you know like the moment uh 
the moment you first see him fly in that suit, you know, that's cinema history's made right there. I mean, that ending shot alone from the first Superman movie where he, he like flies up in the atmosphere and, or just flies out of flies away from the planet and he just smiles and just flies away. Yeah. That's that's an iconic shot. In that's its own right. To me, that's that's fucking Superman. And yeah. he'll you know, there 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 will always be new interpretations and other actors and at least when it comes to Batman, you know, you can make debates on who the you know who the best Batman portrayal is, but in terms of Superman, it's, yeah. I feel I, it's pretty pretty damn universal that it's Christopher Reeve because he left that large of, of an impression. Did you know, so fun, quick little fun fact. Um, did you know that Christopher Reeve was only like early, like early to mid twenties when, uh, Superman came out when, or when they were filming Superman, I yes, thought he I looked did. like, him. I didn't dude, I honestly thought he was in his thirties. Like I had no idea. Do you know who, uh, who helped him train for the role? Um, was it Arnold? David Prowse. David. Oh, well, I know. I mean, yeah, David Prowse was, he's part, he's in, wasn't he? He's Darth stunt? motherfucking Vader. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I figured. Yeah, he was the stunt. He was the stunts double for, uh, for the suit. Right. He was. Yeah, and he, um, it actually, uh, uh, fuck, I've totally lost my train of thought. Uh, but anyway, to, uh, to wrap, uh, to wrap up this little intro, um, you know, Richard Donner is uh, forever one of the true iconic directors, and you have to at least watch one of his films in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, to quickly, quickly add on to my memory, yeah, actually, I'm also in the same boat as Jeff. I also watched superman for the first time maybe only maybe several years ago um as that's well. actually shocking yeah it, i'm surprised it took me well you know it's funny because i remember <clears throat> watching superman 2 um when i was a lot younger maybe middle school or elementary school but mm-hmm. um for sure definitely um i i wish i had seen the first superman first but i think it was just I the think- fact that superman was going to fight general zod in Superman two, that caught my attention more. That's just I think me. Uh, I think Superman Returns kind of ruined my uh, desire to watch uh, to watch the older movies for a long time because mm-hmm. my uh, I, my parents were so excited for Superman Returns when it came out, and I I mean I was like eleven and just didn't really care about the character and. When I when I saw it, you know, this was my first impression of any form of Superman content, you know, comics, TV shows, movies, everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was boring as shit. And so that just left a bad taste in my mouth and I just never paid attention. And and uh, and honestly, I haven't seen Superman Returns since 2006. So. Who knows how I, how I feel about it now? I, I actually do kind of want to check it out. Um, one thing I will say though, Superman Returns probably has one of the greatest teaser trailers of all time. 
Um, is it the one where it's narrated by, um, by Marlon Brando? Kind of. Yeah. The voiceover Marlon. That's why I remember. Okay. Yep. That that was a fantastic teaser trailer, and and I think what's kind of frustrating is that that teaser trailer has a pretty beautiful looking color palette. Mm-hmm. But the but rest then, of the movie kind of looks ugly. Yeah. It. It th- kind of does the same thing that Man of Steel did, where they just reduce the fuck out of the saturation. Mm. Perhaps a future uh, installment we can talk about Superman Returns, but um, in the end, um, we thank Richard Donner for all his efforts because here we are talking about Superman because he really did make you believe a man could fly, and so um, Richard's legacy is forever going to continue on and. Um, Yes. Uh, so in Goonies closing, never say die. yeah, in closing, a massive cauldron of wind to Richard Donner forever will be missed, but his works will forever live on. So in that terms, then let's talk about some sweetness, shall we? Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we are going. So back to Willy Wonka and the, cho- and the Chocolate Factory. So um, came out what year? 1971 not 1977 there we go but in all seriousness it is based off of the novel that came out in 1964 which was called charlie and the chocolate factory um uh for if you do not know the original story i mean it's willy wonka who is this eccentric like candy maker uh he has first off shame on you if you don't know the story of willy wonka exactly and i do agree with that but yeah, he sends out five golden tickets because he's going to offer a tour of his factory. So five children pick up the tickets and they are in awe and shock of the factory itself. And of course, hijinks ensued during the tour. Um, it is it is one of the classic children's stories ever told. Um, it is uh, it, it's definitely it is a major staple in pop culture. Um I I remember what I, I think I actually did see a part of the movie before I actually read the book. Um, so this was like when I was a lot younger, maybe let's say um, I'd say maybe second grade is when I actually watched the maybe a portion of the movie, like the ending or so. And then we finally read the novel when I got to third grade. And I remember really enjoying thir- uh, the novel quite a bit. And then when we finally got to see the movie in in total, of course, I was I definitely remembered really enjoying the movie. Um, There's all I mean, it's it's more it it's definitely got that family musical vibe to it. Um, It's definitely a fantasy film in it. Um, And, you know, the whole reason why the movie works is because of uh, Gene Wilder and what a massive like talent that man was um he's since passed um several years ago but you know he will forever be remembered for this and of course one of the greatest movies ever made blazing saddles um and of course uh young frankenstein but yeah G- uh gene wilder as the titular uh candy maker himself is a treat and that is no pun intended that is that is a fact he is in truly truly like the reason why this movie works so well um can i chime in actually i was about to say so this was your pick 
and yes. uh, it did yes, celebrate did. its 50th anniversary um, several weeks ago on June 30th. And so you ha- apparently, I didn't know this, you you have more of a personal kind of uh, attachment to it. So I'm actually very curious about this. So why don't you go ahead? This is one of the first movies I remember seeing in my life. I had it on VHS and I watched this movie all the fucking time. And and I'm going to be honest, I am not huge into musicals. There's a handful that I genuinely do enjoy a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, Wizard of Oz and I was a big fan of La La Land and of course, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But, you know, off the top of my head, those are the, those are the only musicals that I really give a shit about. And this movie has absolutely, or there's very few movies that I can think of that I would just call purely timeless. And this movie is 50 years old half a century and you know despite some of the some of the trippy 70s effects the overall enjoyment and appeal of the film has not aged a day and it's something that anyone can can watch you know kids will i'm sure will still find it entertaining and adults will still get a major kick out of it even if they didn't grow up with it. There's still something for everyone in this movie. And one of the things that I actually appreciated most is there's so, there's so much really funny, dry humor that completely passed over my head as a kid. And because I remember, I remember specifically whenever, uh, you know, shortly after the news announcements come out that uh, the golden, the hunt for the golden tickets are on and it has all these little, uh, these little cutaway segments to you know random people trying to find the tickets, and I always thought those were the most boring and slow parts. And I, I think I even fast forwarded through them as as a kid. But now, this shit's fucking hilarious. The uh, the one scene in particular uh, is it I is it, it is it when Augustus Gloop wins? <laughs> Please tell oh, me. It's oh, hang, on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> let me talk. Let me talk. Uh, I'm raving about my childhood, Eric. Shut the fuck up. This is my moment. <laughs> But I'm trying. I'm just trying to think of the scene. Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! Walker. Anyway, <laughs> uh, one one scene that I fucking adore is uh, is like this wife. Uh, this wife's hus- husband is uh, is kidnapped by someone and they're being held ransom. And this <laughs> yeah. super stern like private investigator. I, I love how straight and serious everyone is. Where, uh, like, the woman's like pleading on, uh, you know, like the the uh, the kidnappers call. The cop answers the phone, and the, the wife is all like, "Like, I just want my Howard back. Whatever they want, they can have it." And just in the most serious fucking tone imaginable, he's just, "They want your case, Walker boss." Listen, do do you want your husband? It's either your husband or your case of Wonka bars. How long will they give me to think it over? <laughs> I that's, forgot that's, about that that's scene. That's fucking hilarious. 
I forgot about it, and I and I watched it maybe several days ago. Um, damn, because what I remember, what I always remember most about this movie is everything in the factory itself. But I do remember, obviously, you know, one of the best scenes in the movie. I mean, obviously, everyone remembers the Candyman sequence at the beginning. Candyman, Candyman. The candy man can because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Here, kids, have all my free fucking have all this free fucking candy, them. So is that a, okay? Quick question. <laughs> oh no, like I, I'm sure you're just thinking like, oh, I'm gonna build the fuck out of your parents. <laughs> so, a quick question. I forget. So, is that what was that a pharmacy or a drugstore that all those kids rolled into and they just got all I, that I, candy? I think it was just a pure candy store. Okay, for whatever but, reason, but, I have this memory. I, I've been th- I'm thinking something else. I'm thinking otherwise, but I just remember like, remember when, remember, like, I don't, I mean, today, like you really think that uh, a candy store would be, is like the most favorite place a kid wants to go to these days. Most I mean, kids in, don't even get, give a shit about that stuff anymore. I mean, in, I think it's just because this movie just represents a certain type of innocence in children that, that current generations are it's a lot harder for them to experience you know you know they're not they're not sucked into any smartphones or or any of that bullshit you know it's just kids being kids and it's wholesome it's so wholesome and pure it definitely it. <laughs> it definitely does have well i mean if you really want the pure essence of innocence Look no further than Peter Ostrom as Charlie Bucket. Um, the definition one of, the, of pure one of, innocence. One of the greatest child performances ever, and I will stand by that. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. Um, my only question is, is like, I obviously, you know, he's he retired from acting, and he's he's now. Yeah, I don't. Normal. I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he acted in anything else after this. So that was my question. Did he? He didn't do anything else after this, right? I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, now, so but now, like I, he's he's been a veterinarian for decades. Uh, I think he regularly uh, regularly attends conventions. Uh, he does reunions with with the other kids all the time, which is which is awesome. I think in the in the recent uh, 4K uh, release, uh, by the way, I've, I've seen some screenshots of it, and it looks fucking beautiful. Well, it's 4K. What'd you expect? Well, I mean the. The amount of color correction that they did, it, uh, it, like especially in, uh, especially when they first see the the chocolate factory itself, the colors just pop like never before. It it looks outstanding. Let's take a look. And uh, yeah, this was the first reunion uh, to not feature. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Denise Nickerson, who played Violet, because uh, I believe she passed away only last year. Uh, let me see. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's pretty. That's a yeah. No, she passed away a couple years ago, actually. So, you know, it's fu- okay. So we're recording this on July tenth of twenty twenty one. It is exactly two years to the day of this recording that Denise Nickerson has passed away. Oh wow, that's okay. I I. I... That is that's a weird coincidence. That is a very um, interesting coincidence. So let's just move on. Um, <laughs> what I wanted, to, what I wanted to mention was like just so one of my all time favorite moments with Charlie. So like Charlie, you know he 
like in the original story, he lives with his uh, he lives with his family, his two grand, his two sets of grandparents, and uh, his uh, mother and father. Uh, yeah, his mother and father, and they're all like in that really tiny shack. The grandparents all share one bed. <laughs> I always found that like. God, how does that living, how does that like situation work? That must smell terrible. Yeah, it, it, it has to be, especially if there's like no plumbing or anything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Also, none of them have left their bed in like how many years? That's um, why it probably smells disgusting. Exactly. So, but, but what I like is that like even through all the tough times, Charlie, you know, you know, he wishes life were different, but you know, he's got his, he's still. He's still a good kid after all he's, this. He's, yeah, I mean, he's he, he's still grateful for his family, which which I, I definitely think that uh, the character of Charlie Bucket is a wonderful role model for kids. And I and I agree. And the scene that I really wanted to highlight is when he so when it's reported that the fifth ticket was found, you know, Charlie's crestfallen, and then it's revealed that uh, the ticket that was a false ticket. So when he goes to the candy store on a whim, cause he's got like a couple, he's got a couple dollars on him or whatnot. So he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to get a chocolate bar. It's not a big deal. But, and um, when he opens that bar, and well, you see well, that co- well, well, not only that, cause I, I know a point you're making, but I, one thing I wanted to add, he buys that bar for his grandpa, Joe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But so, the, again, that that and, really and so, yeah. And so, so, so what? Uh, where I'm going with this is that uh, I just I love the messaging in this movie that you know that selfless deeds, uh, you know, will are uh, can result in uh, rewardment, and you know, like you know, do good things for people, and good things will come in return. Which is something that I feel like is missing in today's society. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of selflessness these days. There's a lot more nah, selfishness. Yeah, no, this this is the most selfish fucking generation. I any uh, older individuals listening to this show, uh, we're we're sorry, and we're also yeah. But you are right. Yeah, he's he's a very selfless. He's very selfless. Um, and how he, he like, approaches life. Like, again, he knows that life can be better. And yet um, he knows that, you know, better days are ahead, hopefully. So you're that's right. So he buys he buys the chocolate bar for his grandpa, Joe, because, you know, his grandpa, Joe, got him a bar for for his birthday. And maybe they hope they would get some get a ticket that way. And nothing happened. But, you know, he wants to be able to support his family and everything. That is how selfless he is. And then, like I said, he opens that one bar, and then he sees the shiny gold ticket. the he... The music building up and the way it's edited and shot that it it's such an uplifting moment. And what makes it what makes it all the more what makes it for a very interesting conflict is when he run when he's running home and he runs into Slugworth. Slugworth scared the shit out of me <laughs> as a kid. Does he? Doesn't he kind of look like? Doesn't he kind of look like a Christopher Lloyd's character from uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit a bit? I was gonna say he looks like he looks like uh, what the fuck was his name in Roger Rabbit? Uh, 
I need to see Roger Rabbit too. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he uh, he looks like if him and that one uh, that one dude with the burnt hand from Raiders of the Lost Ark had God. a kid. Why did I think you were going to say that too? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he charges him with getting a uh, fizzy lifting or fizzy lift, lifting drinks or I'm the actually recipe. the everlasting gobstopper. That too. That's right. I forgot about that's yeah the gobstopper. But what I love is like when he gets home and he tells Grandpa Joe and then they have like, um, I don't remember the musical number, but I just remember um, him just like, just like it. The fact that the candy bar has that he's found the candy bar suddenly gives him the strength after like 20 fucking years or whatnot to jump out of the bed for joy. They do have this nice musical moment where he's like, yeah, where he's just jumping out. He's like, oh, I'm falling out. Okay, so before we get into that song, another piece of context that I wanted to add. Sure. So, so apparently, during uh, before they started filming, they uh, they wrote the songs first, and they didn't have a completed script to go off of, so they were just kind of given cliff notes on the context of the scene, and pretty much nine times out of ten, the songs fit perfectly. But the only one that feels slightly off is actually Grandpa Joe's song oh, really? because he's because he's saying. I've got a golden ticket. It's like Charlie got the golden ticket. <laughs> you, you old fuck. It's like, oh, thank God. I can finally get the fuck out of this bed. It's like, kid, I, I know, I know this is a big moment for you, but I'm making this about me. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, like, it, it's so, it, it's a wonderful little song, but. With that, but the context kind of fucks it up, and now I can't see it any other way now. So, so I know, that, I know, that seems kind of ruined for me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to think of that song the same after that. Now that's great. Um, I mean, we talk about we talk about just how how much of a good kid Charlie is. Now we need to talk about the other four dipshits. Oh my god, yes! But so, they're hilarious. Uh, they're hilarious. <laughs> So first, Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop. That great big nincompoop. poop. Uh, that's not actually how it goes, but that's close. But fuck that movie. <laughs> inevitably, we will have to talk about the Tim Burton remake uh, at some point later. But um, short version, it sucks. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, but what what was always funny? So like when when it like. Augustus is being interviewed by his like, um, by the by the press. Uh, obviously, you know he's a big kid. He loves to eat. And uh, what I always remember the most is like when the fa- when like the one reporter holds up the microphone to his father to his father and his father just eats the microphone <laughs> augustus how's it feel to find the first golden <laughs> ticket hungry hungry <laughs> oh god it's wonderful that was such that's... a great moment i love it um uh augustus see some room for later <laughs> the mom cracks me up <laughs> um you have obviously violet beauregard who is just this athlete all-star She's hyper as shit. Um, she's got her golden ticket. Um, you have Mike TV, who's obsessed with uh, westerns. Like in in general, he's just obsessed with like media 
and video games and stuff and what till I get a real one. Code 45. Dad says I can't have one, right, Dad? Not till you're 12, son. 12. Hmm. <laughs> what's sad oh, is, what's sad is, is that probably in, in today's American society or just in any society yeah, in general. Fuck it, it's funny. <laughs> but still, uh, I, there probably are kids who probably can get a hold of, like, that are 12 years old that can't get a hold of cults. Um, it, it's fucked up, but it is also kind of funny, too. Well, pretty sure most 12-year-olds don't have an ID. <laughs> too. Um, and then, of course, you get to the biggest bitch in the movie, um, fucking Veruca Salt. Um, that that girl is wonderful at playing a bratty shithead. Well, she's like, I, I want, want a pony. Now, I want it now. It's like it's like what's it mean, father? Like her father, like just halts, like a he runs like a a nut company and like halts entire production. On everything, instead of like shelling peanuts, he has his whole staff just unwrapping chocolate bars <laughs> to look for the golden ticket. I like, know. oh my god, <laughs> I know, it's only costing him millions of dollars. <laughs> what's and what's great is that, like, so obviously, so in the two, there's two versions of it. So I'm gonna, this is where I'm first gonna start comparing uh, this film with the remake. So in the in the original you have um in this version you know everyone they're talking and they're like the one one of the workers like, i found it i found the ticket and she like uh and uh Vruka basically storms the fuck out of like or just bursts the hell out of the office and like gets the fucking ticket for herself in the i remi- did it i found it <laughs> <laughs> no you didn't you bitch and then in the in the remake, uh, this one woman who finds it, she's she's gonna sneakily kind of try and take it, but Veruca's father catches her, and then uh, the moment she gets the ticket, she's like, "I want a pony." So there is that one phone. So like even even when she gets the ticket, she's like, "I'm not satisfied." <laughs> what a fucking bitch! Uh, moving on. But, but the point is, though, you know, the essence is still there. But what? So let's talk about Gene Wilder's introduction. Well, hang on, was- hang on. So before we get to Gene Wilder, because uh, I, I do want to talk about some of the behind the scenes history of this movie. Uh, okay. I, I found it really fascinating. So this movie was actually produced by the Quaker Oats Company. A cereal company made this? Yes. Uh, essentially, it was one of those cases where uh, they wanted to release a they wanted to have a movie tie in to coincide with one of their uh, uh, with like a new uh, brand of chocolate. And one of the the daughter of one of the producers was a huge fan of uh, of the book and went to her dad and said, hey, dad, uh, this would make for a great movie. And uh, then you know, once they secured the rights, they were looking for a director. And uh, Mel Stewart was a really interesting choice because he primarily comes from a documentary. documentary yeah, I remember this. Yeah, I so, remember, so, yeah. So, so, no. so he, yeah, so he comes from a documentary background. And it seems like such a weird choice, but 
his style brought i think brought such a like such a realistic element to to this movie that i think helped make it uh help give it that timeless feel and the way that they uh when they were location scouting they uh you know they they had the choice to film in either LA or England but they ended up filming in Germany yeah and the uh in the town that they filmed in you know it uh it didn't look didn't look retro it didn't look high tech it just it just had a you know like a a mundane everyday look to it and and like I said you can't really you know if you're not uh, you know paying attention to certain effect shots and certain clothing styles it's hard to tell that this movie or it's hard to really pin down what era this movie uh, was released in. And definitely given that timeless um, feeling to it that you described earlier. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, and I love that they, uh, uh, you know, even though it was filmed in, in Germany, a lot of, there's a lot of British, uh, British casting and, and I think that also helps give it a really, because I love dry British humor, and having that element in uh, in certain uh, cutaway gags and everything, I think that uh, like it brought an extra layer of of humor. That uh, and again, you know, because I'm 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 an adult now, and I mean only legally, and and uh, so moments like that. Uh, have just aged so much better for me and helped me keep coming back to this movie with a new found appreciation. And I don't think any of that would have been possible if if it weren't for Mel Mel Stewart, you know, because they were working with a pretty low budget and they had to, you know, they had to make do with what they had. And I think, um, and, uh, the way that they secured Gene Wilder, I thought was always so interesting and only solidified what a genius Gene Wilder was. He only agreed to do the movie if he could make his first appearance by walking out with a cane to make it appear that he's a cripple. And then he, by the time he gets closer to the crowd, you know, everyone's dead silent. And then, you know, then the cane gets stuck in the, in the brick he does a somersault forward and jumps right up. At that moment, that uh, that was supposed to signify to the audience that you never know if he's telling the truth or not. And that was Gene Wilder's only condition to taking the role. And Melser just said, okay. And because, because of that one choice and that one agreement, we got one of the greatest characters in all of cinema. Willy Wonka, played by Gene motherfucking Wilder. Well, I wanted to touch upon that because that's that introduction is always stuck in my brain because of it's exactly wonderful. the way you described. Well, yeah, exactly, and also the way you described it is true. He, you know, he he's walking out from the factory, you know, because like if because if you remember, everyone's like all cheering that hey, it's here, he's here, you know, he's uh everyone's excited and everything but then everyone's spirits are broken when um he's just slowly walking out from the building yeah like you said he's got a cane it looks like he's crippled he's walking very slowly 
And then once it gets closer and and gets very close to the, the gate, he falls, does a tumble, and was like, ta-da! And not only is it not only is it like you never know if he's telling the truth, it also shows just how unpredictable Willy Wonka really is. Because oh, yeah. and that is the nature of his factory in general, because you have no idea just how bonkers it's going to be. So you have to kind of be on your guard at all times in there because the moment you mess up, it's not going to end well, especially for at least four of the two of the kids. Stop. Um, don't come back. No, stop. Come back. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that it's low budget. I never would have guessed that based upon the chocolate room. That chocolate. So when they, when they first get into the factory and they open the doors to, to the chocolate room, the reactions you see on everyone are genuine, right? Are there, are there genuine reaction to seeing the set for the first time? That's right. I remember reading about this and that moment, uh, you know, especially if, uh, you know, if you're a kid, you're, you're just blown away by, you know, oh my God, there's candy everywhere. And, you know, and as an adult, you're just appreciating the the set design and, and maybe it's even making you feel like a kid again in some way. And so, so their, their look of awe and amazement beautifully transcends onto the viewer, I think. And the way that uh, Gene Wilder d- delivers, you know, his singing for the song "Pure Imagination," it's it's wonderful. It's it's movie magic. You know, it's funny you mention. It's kind of funny you mentioned just how like it is true though. Like sometimes capturing real, true amazement like that, seeing it for the first time, is um, a hallmark of like good filmmaking and directing. Kind of. So it's a quick side. Uh, we're definitely going to come back to it, but it reminds me actually of Richard Donner and the Goonies. So like in an interview on Conan, Josh Brolin said that like, so they said they saw the ship that the reaction was actually for seeing the ship was actually the first time they saw it. So like, wow. so they, um, they were like filming on location and the ship was built on a soundstage. And then like, they all, you know, had to go head first down underwater, turn away from the ship so that, so that when they rise up from the water and turn around, that's their actual reaction. And so Josh Brolin said that like Richard Donner called action. Josh Brolin turns up and he's like, holy shit. <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> and apparently Richard Donner is like, cut. What? You're a Goonie. You don't swear. <laughs> Goonies don't swear. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. It's just fucking huge. <laughs> but so, yeah. Uh, I probably said the same thing if I'm being honest. <laughs> So going back to this though, like yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be amazed by a, by a room well, like this? Because this is such it's such a really cool, bright colored, really like kind of like vibrant set. Um, everything's pretty much edible on set too. Um, I always I always think about it now. Not I always everything. laugh. Not everything, but I always laugh when like you know Gene when he's singing the song and. Um, he just takes that bite of that apple-looking thing. <laughs> so, I... so actually, uh, so that uh, that cup that that you were referring to. Oh yeah, that's right. That cup. It was actually made of wax. 
And, oh, you can't eat and that. So, and so once he took a bite out of that, the moment they, you know, he had to pretend that, oh, it's delicious, yummy. And the moment uh, the moment they yell cut, he's just like, <laughs> I mean, have you eaten? Have you eaten something that's technically wax? Um, I it, can't say I have. <laughs> so, so here's a side note, kids. Don't eat uh, ramen cup noodles raw because that shit's probably stuck together via wax. It's only when you cook it that the wax goes away. So don't do it. I kind of want some ramen now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but again, the room, I think you would probably know this since you know more about the behind the scenes than I do. So is that like, is that colored water? Like brown colored water with food dye. Yeah, it uh, it, it was some kind of colored uh, colored water, uh, but it looks like diarrhea. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, so the, I would say that because uh, I I am not a fan of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but the one of the things that it definitely did better that chocolate <laughs> river look that chocolate river and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory looks fucking delicious. I'm like, you love this movie, and you're like, God, the Chocolate River looks like diarrhea. The remake, I mean, I it's, can hit I the mean, remake, but, best, the, but that looks, looks like real. Like, at best, it looks almost like about to be spoiled chocolate milk. Mm. Yeah, that's being, it, that's being generous. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. That definitely, I would never would have guessed that. Actually, um, what a surprise. Uh, and uh and so when uh so when Augustus you know falls in into the chocolate river and uh, gets a gets sucked up in into the tube uh Gene Wilder's expressions are fucking hilarious because he almost just expects all this to happen he's just he's so casual and he's just he's so subtle with his <laughs> with his remarks towards everyone like he's he's almost like being uh like a like a sophisticated jackass to everyone. Oh, no, he's a complete <laughs> smartass to everybody. That's what oh, I love. No, about he's him. a total smartass to everyone, and uh, I love like when his mom is like, uh, like a oh, he'll, he'll be melted into into marshmallow. That's impossible, ma'am. Why? Because that because that tube goes to the fudge room, not the marshmallow room. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh god! But you know, but you know, like what I, uh, just what I love, what I always like get a joy out of, like, um, is like just how each of the douchebag kids just go, especially Violet. I think Violet's, uh, exit is one of the most memorable scenes in all of like film. You know, she eats that gum that's very experimental and, uh, she blows these up. Totally, these kids totally all died, by the way. Oh yeah, like there is no. Way, I mean, like, dead. like yeah, there's no uh, way you survive from that. Yeah, like Augustus, he ended up. Uh, you know, since he went to the fudge room, I'm sure at some point it had to be heated up, so he melted away in the fudge. Actually, uh, I know. So, like, they don't show it in the. I mean, obviously, Baruka, they show what happens in the remake, but in the original Baruka story, that's also how it happens. Baruka and her father were horribly burned alive, and and uh, let's see here, uh, Violet, uh, she ended up exploding, and you know probably got her 
guts everywhere on the poor Oompa Loompas who are probably making below minimum wage. And <laughs> and then and then uh, Mike TV, uh, he ended up, uh, I don't know, an Oompa Loompa stepped on him or something. I don't fucking know. You have like the, okay, you are way more darker than I thought you were going to go with. with these <laughs> Tell kids. me what else happened to these kids. I never saw them leave the damn factory. Neither, neither did we. But like, I mean, obviously they... Sh- I mean, they showed what happened to the kids in the remake, but that's actually what happens in the novel. So, like, Violet's now just blue. Um, Faruka and her father are just, like, complete trashed. Uh, Mike TV is just stretched out to be this, like, seven-foot-tall person. Um, and so, uh, Augustus Gloop got thinned out, and so now he looks like he's a very skinny kid. Okay, so... So two of them just ended up being a little dirty and the rest ended up with permanent, horrible physical horrible deformities. Physical. Well, that's Roll Doll for you. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, if you think that's dark, wait till you get to the motherfucking tunnel scene. <laughs> One of the scariest goddamn things ever put to film. There's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are going. <laughs> And they're certainly not showing any sign that they are slowing. So you, again, you it's know more. About, terrifying. Again, you know more about the behind the scenes. I was five when I saw this movie. Imagine how terrifying that was for a five-year-old. <laughs> I just so, thought, okay, move, move, kid movies back then had balls because <laughs> they were not afraid to put really scary shit in their movies. And honestly, that's kind of needed nowadays because I think it's really important for kids to get a little bit scared in in movies. Otherwise, they don't develop. That's a good point. It's it's good to have. It's good to be challenged like that. Even though that one part always scared the crap out of me, I always toughened out. And by the time uh, by the time it's over, if you don't look at the if you are able to resist. Uh, not looking away, you just took it. Then the adventure continues, <laughs> and it feels like, oh, thank God we've made it. Like it feels like you're with the characters, like you're you're taking in. And that's the thing. I don't know what the idea for this scene came from because if you took it out of the movie, you wouldn't really miss anything. Yeah, and it's. Just, so you could debate if it's necessary, but just seeing how bad shit insane Gene Wilder gets and how trippy as fuck it is. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> you know, you know, like when you when you watch that scene in context, like it, it like even even though it is terrifying, you can definitely tell. <laughs> that gene wilder is having a ball like he is going off the reservation with this one scene oh yeah like that is that is that is pure gene wilder for you i feel like um gene wilder is amazing at screaming (laughs) and again it's funny sometimes i do cough i do often like say to i do often like go to myself like there's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are going um speaking of so amongst all the other things in the factory um jeff briefly mentioned them those oompa loompas 
Those goddamn Oompa Loompas. Oompa Loompa Loompa Dee Doo. I've got a perfect puzzle for you. The songs are wonderful. I so obviously so in the original so, so having when I read the original book, um, obviously they looked nothing like the orange skinned, um, green haired uh, character. I mean the uh, characters they look like. They looked more like. Um, I think they looked kind of more like actually what uh, Tim Burton uh, depicted them and whatnot. Um, but uh, I definitely, I don't know. I definitely, something tells me I actually would prefer the orange skinned green haired version more uh, other than, other than the, than the, the remake versions, but well, well, so, they are just so they're so memorable. Also well, it's a prat. They're all like practicals. And they're all like real people. It's not the same guy just doing like multiple poses. So, so something that I, I want to throw in uh, comparing this to the remake, part of why I think that the remake is trash is it doesn't understand what made the original Willy Wonka character so great. Uh, I get Johnny Depp was trying to do his own interpretation, but it was a fucking disaster and the completely wrong approach. So... Early on, you know, Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder does does the somersaults to, you know, to set up with the expectation of you don't really know if he's telling the truth half the time or not. And because he's such a smart ass, you don't know if he's being serious or if he's just being a trickster. And and so when when the Oompa Loompas are first introduced, you know, he's saying, oh, I got them from Oompa Land. And, and then he's like, oh, I, I saved them from the vicious Kinnears and the Snozwanglers. And and they're trying to call his bluff, but he's like, no, this happened. <laughs> and you don't know if he's being serious or not. And if he if he's serious, then it makes you picture this idea in your head of, well, if that actually happened, what was that like? And but again, it could either be it could either be true or complete bullshit. And you don't know. Okay, I, but, I, okay, but the, I but see the what fact you mean. That, the fact that they just show it in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it sucks out all the mystique and the bugs that they that they show. You know, like the 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 vicious Kinnears and shit. Uh, you know, they don't look visually appealing at all. Uh, it just looks like a generic big bug, and you know, it's it's like okay, well, that happened, and it's just it's more of a it's like the less that they explain it, if for especially young viewers, uh, it forces them to just really use their imagination on what's on what they're talking about. Because I know when I was a kid, you know, whenever I, I heard sequences like that, you know, it it got my imagination rolling of like, oh, if I, I wonder what what that would have been like, and and I don't know, I. I always have more respect for for movies that uh, that know when to not show, having that right proper balance. If if that makes any sense. Well, well, I guess to add on to that, the most effective, the power that's the power of cinema. Like it's show, don't tell. But sometimes you don't want to show too much because you want to be able. To, you are right. You want to be able to leave some something to it, the imagination. Well, it, it's about striking that balance, and and I think it's just because 
I mean, I, I think it's it shows in, shows in the budget, you know, because this movie had a pretty tiny budget, only about three million dollars. And it forced them to be more creative and use their effects a lot more sparingly. And it relied on the talent of their actors and their and the strengths in their performances and everything. And when you have like, well, like a hundred million dollars behind your remake, you're not focused on shit like that because it's like, oh, we can we can do this now, we can do that now. Mm-hmm. But but never questioning if if it'll actually benefit the film in itself. A, a wise man once said, "You were so preoccupied with whether or not it could, you could, you didn't, you did not stop to think if you should." Hmm. I guess, I guess, to kind of close, not, not, not everything, but like just to close on at least the remake. Since I, because I remember I did actually like the remake when it first came out, but oh, um, I mean, I did too, but because uh, I mean, I mean, I, I was hyped because I, I was ten when that came out, and. It's just one of those things where, you know, like I liked it because, oh, it's new. But as I got older, I, the flaws really started to crack through and it made me go back to the original movie and think, what made this one so much more special and celebrated? Why well, is, here's why is, this, why, why is this one still talked about and the remake? Not as much. Well, here's here's what I here's what I have surmised sort of. Um in terms of a pure adaptation, just follow along with me here. Um, I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory follows the book more closely. Um, in terms of capturing the spirit and uh, the message behind what Roald Dahl had originally wrote, um, this the original the original nineteen seventy one film is the superior version. Um, sure. And you don't want a pure straight up adaptation. Watchmen is kind of the exception in my eyes because that's a very difficult story to do. Listen, or to bring to, episode. to bring to that. Yeah. Well, to bring to that all together, but um, because that's a very hard graphic novel to adapt, but with something like Willy Wonka and the Cho- chocolate factory, there are definitely some liberties you can take as long as you stay true to the themes, this, um, the values and the morals and the characters that Roald Dahl had established. So when you watch something like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it definitely follows the book more closely, but it definitely kind of seems a little it darker the- and meaner in retrospect. It, uh, it lacks the heart and, and, sincer- and uh, sincerity. Yeah, that's 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 what I mean, is that... Again, as an adaptation, Tim Burton's movie is the closest, but is it would be the would be the would be that. But but I mean, what makes what way? But again, it's the it's the heart and spirit of the nineteen seventy one movie that um, makes I mean, it the superior I mean, version. I mean, from the get go, I I just think Tim Burton was the wrong choice for as a director. Um, you know, like I, I could see how, why he would be a good choice, but uh, actually, in a, there's a red letter media review of Willy Wonka that uh, everyone should definitely check out. Yeah, that, uh, but, I was thinking about but, that. But, I, but I, I think it was Jay who brought up a really good point of uh, Tim Burton just couldn't fucking help himself 
if uh, if he shot everything leading up to the factory more contemporary, and then once they got into the factory, just make it Tim Burton as fuck. It probably would have made for a better movie, and and I agree. I I, I think that would have uh, I think that would have brought a much more fresh approach, and that's where Tim Burton's style could be a lot more better utilized. But Tim Burton just couldn't fucking help himself, and that's when I think uh, you know because I I like Tim Burton, but I think he's made a lot more bad movies than good, and. And it's, uh, you know, like, I I love original Tim Burton. I hate remake Tim Burton. I guess it's a fair assessment on where he stands because um, most of the stuff I mean, he's made so far has been, I mean, like, like, complete thinkers. Well, because, I mean, some of his original work is fantastic. Like, Ed Wood is in, like, my probably my top five favorite movies of all time. Yeah, Edward Scissorhand... Edward Scissorhands uh, is great. Beetlejuice Batman, is- Batman is like up there with Superman in terms of like how to create a superhero movie. He was um, Big Adventure is iconic. Yeah, and then um, and then the Nightmare Before Christmas is like one of the best animated movies. Uh, even, even though he didn't direct it, he did. Did he produce it though? He produced it, yeah, but the uh, the guy that directed Coraline uh, did Nightmare Before Christmas. Either way, it's got Tim Burton's like stamp all over it. Um, oh yeah, but that that's just me though. But um, but yeah, I would agree. Like Tim Burton's kind of a hit and miss these days. Um, I probably would rather watch his older stuff than I would his newer stuff. But I mean, at least you know what you're getting with Tim Burton. But you know, sometimes. It's a little too much. I think maybe the movie that feels I'd have to rewatch it again, but I think the movie that feels the least Tim Burton in my eyes would be Ed Wood. Um, And what I mean is like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a biopic, but um, that one, that one definitely uh, balances, you know, contemporary style and knowing when to have the Tim Burton look to it. Yeah, it, that's what it, I'm. It strikes that balance really well, and so that's what made Charlie and the Chocolate Factory more frustrating. Was that you know, based off Ed Wood, it's like, oh, you're capable of having that balance. Mm-hmm. You just chose not to. I'm thinking of uh, the line from the from the movie, like, "What do you know? Haven't you heard of suspension of disbelief?" <laughs> <sighs> oh, I love that movie. I need to see. It. I need to watch it again. Um, uh, so, yeah, so so back to uh, well, back to this though, but yes, but so, uh, so then we get to one of the best scenes of the movie, the fizzy lifting drinks. <laughs> I I wanted I wanted some so bad because it looked fun as fuck. You're just hoping that you drink soda that makes you fly or float. Yeah, <laughs> why, why the fuck wouldn't I? Well, well. If you did that, you might you might get killed by a by a, a ceiling fan or whatnot. So uh, be careful. No, I I rob a bank, then I drink my fizzy lifting drink, and I get the fuck out of there. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there was a helicopter like right above me. I, I don't know if I would do that. But I will. Then I will burp my way down to to sweet sweet freedom and get on the run to my getaway car. I wonder what happens if you fart when you when you drink fizzy lip lifting i will find out (laughs) i'll get back to you on that 
Anyways, why don't you have the floor of the rest of the scene? So, uh, this is another point where Grandpa Joe is proven to be the true villain of the picture <laughs> and influences Charlie to to take a swig of that fizzy lifting drink going completely against Willy Wonka's direct orders. And and then they uh, they take a drink and they're being lifted up into the air and then they get horribly chopped up by the fan and the poor Oompa Loompas, who are once again making far below minimum wage, are forced to clean up an old man and little, and little boy's guts. That, remind, that also reminds me of... Yeah. Uh, that also reminds me of... Uh, so when they... When after, like, Charlie's the last person, and uh, they're like, wait, what about our lifetime supply of chocolate? Obviously, he was, like, tasked by Slugworth to steal a gobstopper, which he did, and also they drink the fizzy lifting. But, uh, you know... Um, do you know the entire quote by any chance of like all the rules <laughs> that uh that he has to go through? I, I I don't I don't I don't have it pulled up here, but like I just remember like it's it's funny you mentioned like you drank the fizzy lifting and now the Oompa Loompas have to clean up in there. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. In this case, yeah, they are gonna they are like getting minimum I'm, wage for that. I'm looking this shit up right now. <laughs> But in the meantime, I wanted to... I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses here, here and contained, etc., etc. Facts, mentions, the blah, 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 blah. Memo, I don't know what the fuck you're saying right there. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. The next time I get into a heated argument with someone, I'm just I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> Jeff, you're so fucking late for work. I don't know, like like this behavior is unacceptable. Hang on, hang on. Let me tell you something, sir. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. <laughs> you stole fizzy lifting drinks. <laughs> you got nothing, sir. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> You're fired! I said good day, sir! <laughs> I'm so fucking using that. <laughs> but you know what? It's the scene that really solidifies that Charlie truly is... Oh, like, we're, we're good, getting, like, way fucking child. ahead of ourselves. But but it's true, though. He is he is the child that truly proves that he is... Yeah, we'll, he is. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Like, we still got, we still got like... Three other kids that suffer horrible deaths. Oh, who gives a fuck about the kids? I do because those scenes are hilarious. I mentioned that Violet, like, it's fucking like blown up. Um, Blueberry pie and ice cream. Erica Salt falls down a a nut shaft because she she's greedy because she wants one of the was it one of the squirrels that uh no not the squirrels no no the uh the geese that lay the golden oh, that's eggs. That's right. I'm thinking of the original version, but um. I, again, I will say again, the, uh, I watched I watched this movie a couple days ago and I still think about the original novel over and over again. So the the song that Veruca sings is is wonderful. <laughs> I, I, want want it I want the whole world. It's terrific. She's and, the uh, literal definition of that JG Wentworth commercial <laughs> where it's just like uh it's my money and I need it now. <laughs> Maybe not the money, but like just the fact <gasps> of like I need it now. Oh my gosh, she totally is. <laughs> it's your golden egg. Use it when you need it. <laughs> and then you have Mike, who uh, they oh, go into on. like. The- I, 
one moment that in that scene that I, even as a kid, made me laugh my ass off. The moment she stands on that egg decator, <laughs> it shoots her right down. I want it now! Hark, hark! <laughs> she was a bad egg. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, then her, and then what? Her father goes down the tube with her? Yep. <laughs> and again, being so fucking casual, he's just like, there's going to be a lot of garbage today. <laughs> every I, love, scene, I just love every Gene, line that Gene Wilder deli- delivers is perfect. I love, I just love how like, well, it's part of that Gene Wilder charm, isn't it? Like he's just, Oh yeah. He's kind of like, you know, even though he's, even though they're like two completely different personalities, would it be, I don't know. Would it be fair to say that Gene Wilder was almost the Robert Downey Jr. of his day, just in terms of like pure charm and charisma. Hmm. I don't know because they both had such dramatically different styles. Um. Uh. I don't know. Like, I, I just I don't really see the comparison between the two personally. Yeah, it's just a thought. But uh, I don't know for whatever reason I did. Robert Downey Jr. popped into my head as well. But um, I mean, like, I mean, like, both are incredibly charismatic, but. I don't know, like Gene Wilder seemed to always just get lost in uh, in his roles. And no matter who he was playing, you know, he it's like. Uh, in a way, he kind of reminds me of Leslie Nielsen, who uh, like who is so good at delivering comedy with such a deadpan face. <laughs> well, I tell you something right now, when I'm in a park, when I'm in a Shakespeare park, I shoot the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you showed me uh, when you showed me the naked guy. Caesar, you moron. <laughs> We're talking naked guns someday. Naked guns a masterpiece. There's another movie, by the way. There's another like parody movie I discovered on uh, YouTube that's free to watch that I need to tell you about later. Um, oh, is it? It's, please tell me it's a superhero movie. Uh, no, but it is a movie that you and I both love. <laughs> Have uh, you seen superhero movie? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I it's have. So stupid, but it 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 cracks me up. Uh, <laughs> but um, so, anyways, Mike, uh, they like they go into like what a t- I think it's like some sort of like TV and um, Mike messes. Wrong? We're the first person to be sent through television, and he's stuck in the television. Stop! Don't come back. <laughs> no, stop! Don't come back. He's so over it. <laughs> you know what? I know I didn't realize that's where that line came from because, like, I remember I played the Ghostbusters. No, I was watching a walkthrough for the Ghostbusters game, and I totally heard Venkman like say that line. I'm like, oh, now that I'm not you're here, you're saying like, oh, that's where that line came. I from. I understood that reference. <laughs> again, it again. I only watched this movie a couple of days ago. Jesus. Uh, how did I forget so much already? I'm, my life sucks these days. Um, you, need uh, you need more Wonka in your life, brother. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned Wonka since you talk about Wonka. Remember like all the Wonka candies that they used to have? Um, I don't know if they still do, but um, I don't think I remember- so anymore. Yeah, no, I, I remember uh, are Nerds Rope still a thing? Because I used to love Nerds Rope. Well, I remember nerds were still around. I don't remember if nerds themselves are still. Like, I I don't know if they use the Wonka labeling anymore. I I think they brought it back as promotion for the for the 2005 movie. 
and they kind of held on to that for a few years. I remember they brought back um, the, like the the Wonka bars for that. Yeah, they did. I think they had a real golden ticket uh like giveaway where like where they were actually they put five golden tickets inside Wonka bars. I don't know. I don't remember what the prizes were, but I I think it was to see the I think maybe it was to see the premiere of the movie. That would have been either that or or probably just like a sack of money that would be heavily taxed. Mm. <laughs> uh, but uh, they had actually uh, uh, interesting piece of trivia was uh, they were there was supposed to be uh, a line of chocolate bars to uh, to be released as promotional tie in for uh, for the original movie. But the formula got all fucked up and they and all the chocolate essentially melted in room temperature. And so if it's, you know, sitting on a regular store shelf and it melts, well, obviously that no one's going to want to buy that. So mm-hmm. they, that all had to be recalled. And by, by the time that happened, the movie came out. So there was no candy tie in, uh, which was part of the reason, which was an element to why this movie was greenlit in the first place. And yet <laughs> this movie is a pure fucking classic. It is no because it's uh, it because I feel like it was produced. It was a it had a similar origin to what something like the Garbage Pail Kids movie was. Ugh, don't remind you me know it's it's uh, conceptually it was made by a corporation that did not give a fuck and they're just like whatever, just make a movie around this and uh, but. It, at least, uh, probably not the best comparison. I'm, I'm just I'm pulling this out of my ass. Uh, but with, uh, uh, but when it came to Willy Wonka, you know they uh, they decided to be faithful to to the source material and uh, you know hire the right talent, make sure they got the casting right, the director right, and it's one of those lightning in a bottle movies that manage manages to uh, yeah i don't want to repeat myself too much it it's a good movie <laughs> you're not wrong you're not that's wrong. what i'm getting at but you and, know uh, and uh but what i uh so so i guess you know we already passed uh you know mike tv and everything so uh so we'll get to the infamous wonka outburst and which we already went over already well briefly yeah. But some, some jackass decided to skip ahead. Uh, <clears throat> I love you. Uh, so with... Uh, you can't see me, but I'm flipping you off. <laughs> uh, I love you too, shithead. Nah, uh, jerk off. <laughs> so That's with... Uh, listen to our Tremors review for more context. Uh, <laughs> so with... Well, first off, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, he, as soon as, uh, you know, the tour is over and everything, you know, he doesn't give them the, uh, you know, the courtesy of, you know, walking the mat or anything. He just says, oh, yeah, just go straight down the hall to the left. You'll find it. I, I got shit to do. And and then Charlie has, you know, this confused look on his face, you know, like, hey, I'm the last one. Like, why didn't I get the grand prize? So so they go into his office and. I love the I design love of his office, by the way. Yeah, and again, there's no explanation for it, and it just makes you question more and more the psychology of this guy. And 
And I don't know whose call that was, but it's little details like that just make him such an interesting character. And uh, and so once once that infamous outburst happens, you know, great acting by uh, by Jack Albertson and uh, and Gene Wilder right there. And what I what I absolutely love is, you know, even though, you know, he loses his shit in front of Charlie and Charlie has every, you know, especially from from a kid at a kid's age, you know, you you make some undeniably selfish decisions because you're not really thinking of the grand scheme of things. And especially when, you know, his grandpa, who's again, the true villain of the movie, <laughs> he says, uh, he says to him like, all right, come on, Charlie, like we're like, we're going to give Slugworth uh, the everlasting gobstopper. And Charlie says, no, and leaves it on, on his desk. And that proves to Wonka that he's the one. And the joy on Gene Wilder's face when he says you've won it, uh, it Melts my fucking heart. I miss that man. Well, it's funny you mentioned that real quick because I, so I read something actually that apparently Gene actually hated that hated yelling during that scene because he hated yelling at children. If I'm not mistaken, I read yeah. this is what I read. Yeah, okay, so this is correct. Um, so the fact that like he turns around, so he he you know. He has that angry outburst and then he turns it around and is happy. That's genuine joy of like, because oh, you can, that's, that's also Gene going like, I am so sorry for yelling at you. Um, that That's, that's great. And the, and the fact that, uh, you know, the fact that the guy that was perceived to be Slugworth wasn't really Slugworth, you know, he was part of a, an elaborate test planted by Wonka. He still looks you know, like a uh, cross between Christopher Lloyd and uh, that guy from Raiders. <laughs> what an interesting that combination. Dude, that dude's fucking scary. Yes, still. he is. <laughs> so I do not want to be cornered. I don't know if he's a good guy now. He's fucking scary. I don't want. I do not want to be cornered in an alley by him, like he did with Charlie. <laughs> yeah, like imagine me backed into a dark alley by him, saying, "Give me your everlasting gulp stopper." Anyways. Let's you talk about that it. elevator. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I will say the, uh, well, uh, but what I love about that whole scene is that it ties back in, into the good moral nature of Charlie Bucket. You know, he, uh, you know, by making selfless decisions, you know, because the whole reason he got in, in that factory, self selfless decision. And he, you know, he almost lost everything by making a selfish de decision, you know, drinking the fizzy lifting drinks and everything and could have just made everything worse for himself. But he made the selfless choice to just say, nah, just I just want to go home. And and he's rewarded for being a good kid. And and so I think uh, so, again, wonderful role model for uh, for for uh, for kids and now we get to the the glass elevator and is it's such a wonderful scene. This the, up uh, goes up and down, but it also goes sideways, diagonally. <laughs> what a fascinating elevator. And the uh and so the the moment that it bursts through the glass and and I, I will say the uh you know I've I've been praising the 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 uh the song numbers uh throughout this review, but I I really want to discuss the uh, the orchestrated 
uh, elements, the the actual score is wonderful. It's it's so lively and captures the whimsical tone of the movie so beautifully, and that accompanied by you know the the great glass elevator shooting up into the sky and they're overlooking the the town it's it's beautiful it's a wonderful final musical note to to end the movie on and the uh the moment uh you know the wonka says like hey you know i i can't keep doing this forever i'm giving you the factory yeah you could say that okay well how the fuck is a kid gonna be running this business and yada 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 it's like shut up this is a magical moment (laughs) and uh and again grandpa jack being uh or grandpa joe being the uh, the main villain instantly asks what about me can i move in too <laughs> it's like the whole family it's like yeah sure whatever like you, you can fucking move. <laughs> and uh and yeah and um uh, i love the final line of, of this movie you know don't forget what happened to the old man who got who suddenly got everything he ever wanted what happened happily happily ever after and just gives charlie this warm embrace and the great glass elevator just keeps rising up and up and up until it reaches uh into outer space and then it's uh, brought back down by the earth's atmosphere and then it shatters back in, back into the earth and they all die a horrible fucking death <laughs> that uh, is not what happened <laughs> <laughs> You just mentioned that it was a beautiful ending. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's funny you met in all seriousness, it actually ties into the sequel. Um that the the original to the original. I always heard about that sequel, but I'm just like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) I never I'm not too sure either. But the moment I heard the plot, I'm like, that can't be real. (laughs) Well, Roald Dahl wrote it. Well, don't they like like they go to space and they are chased by aliens or something. I shit? never read the novel, so I, I don't. I can't tell you. All, all everyone cares about is that first book. Is that first book, and all everyone really cares about is this movie. And uh, no, just right. This is a timeless classic. This is truly uh, a movie that um, anyone can watch, even though it's a even though it was made in 1971. Uh, it really has that timeless look and feel to it, uh, especially, absolutely. especially when you talk about, cause you're right. Cause I actually, so like I'm seeing some images of what, um, cause they shot in a town in Germany and it still looks the fucking same. It does. It really does. And, and again, like, and that's why I think, uh, I think movies like this and I mean, I would say even jaws uh for example it uh there's elements you could tell that it was it's from the 70s but the way it's executed and the way the the town is portrayed it it has that timeless feel to it where it uh you can't really like unless you really pay attention it's hard to really place a specific decade uh on uh onto when it when it was made and I don't know. I feel like this is this is just one of those great movies that every kid should see. It, uh, you know, I feel like anyone from pretty much any country could find immense enjoyment in this. It, uh, it truly is made for made for everyone. And 
I think it, uh, you know, if, uh, if there's any parents with young kids listening, listening to this, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I'd I definitely, show this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I'm, I'm not a parent, but if I, you know, like if I ever end up having kids, this is uh, one of those movies that I cannot wait to show them. This, uh, this movie is magic. It is pure fucking magic. And it's, uh, it's one of my favorite films of all time. It's only gotten better with age and, uh, it's 50 years old now, which is unbelievable to think about, but yeah, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. But, but, to to me, it's, <clears throat> it's hardly aged today. And it's one of the best movies ever made. It's probably Gene Wilder's greatest performance and, uh, extremely tragic when he passed away. But, uh, he, uh, and actually when, uh, something I wanted to mention also was, uh, and Gene Wilder unfortunately passed away from Alzheimer's disease and uh. he uh and he actually kept kept that very private. He was uh, uh he really kept to himself a lot in his later years. Uh just kind of was kind of stayed out of the public eye and I think he was diagnosed in the last 3 years of his life and once he passed away his his nephew uh, actually let me pull up the quote real quick. Let's see here. Uh, okay, got it right here. Uh, so, after uh, after Gene Wilder passed away, his uh, his nephew actually, uh, you know, released a statement onto, you know, why he never said or came out with anything. He said the decision to wait, uh, to wait until nah. The decision to wait until this time to disclose his condition wasn't vanity, but more so that countless young children that would that would smile or call out to him, there's Willy Wonka, would not have to be exposed to an adult referencing illness or trouble and causing delight to travel, to, to worry, disappoint, or confusion. He simply couldn't bear the idea of one less smile in the world. And I think that's, that's really fucking deep. And I think that really, that really spoke to what kind of a person Gene Wilder was as a, as a person and as a performer. And he, he seemed to really get what his performance meant to so many people. And, and uh, there's this great Conan O'Brien interview from 2005, I think. Uh, where he mentions that you know sometimes kids recognize him and they just have this look of of shock on their face and they're they're too too nervous to approach him and it uh, I don't know he, he just he seemed like such a sweet sweet man uh, he was always very soft spoken uh, he did I really want to read his autobiography that he released in 2005 I believe. Uh, so I, I think there's an audiobook uh, that he recorded. So I, I'm, I definitely want to check that out. But, but yeah, his his performance as Willy Wonka is one of my favorites of from any actor. You know, especially coming, uh, you know, especially growing up. It, uh, you know, being a young young kid. You know, uh, not 
as as not as exposed to many movies at that point. Uh, he was someone that I looked up to and uh, you know captured my imagination. And I would uh, you know like I would watch this movie on repeat. And you know if I was sick from school, I always wanted to watch Willy Wonka. Or if I had something you know going on in my personal life, I would watch Willy Wonka. And in my mind, he felt like this, this friend that I could turn to whenever I was feeling down, like always had a comforting presence. And yeah, this movie's like a warm, fuzzy blanket to me. Mm. It, uh, it's one of those few movies that can, that really makes me feel like a kid again. And it, uh, yeah, there's like, uh, you could definitely say that it's not a flawless movie. Like there's, you know, there's things that you could pick apart, but I don't give a shit. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mel Stewart directed a timeless classic. And I, I don't think this movie will have any trouble uh, transcending gener- multiple generations for decades to come. I don't really have anything to add on to that. I think that's actually, um, a good closer for that because um i mean i share i do share the same pretty much most of the same sentiments but i mean i may not have as much of a connection to this movie as jeff does but there's no denying just how impactful this movie is and just how much of an influence gene wilder was on so many people and so i think I think it's best to just leave it there and really, really let it marinate just, just how much this movie really means. If you, if you haven't, if you haven't seen it in a while, I can't recommend giving it another watch. If you haven't seen it since you were a kid, you'll, I think you'll be surprised of how, of how beautifully it's aged. Yeah, no, I, I I highly agree. So, well, I think that's uh, I think that's gonna do it for this one, folks. So, um, just want to say, be sure to follow the show on, on Instagram at tnapcast. That's T N A A P C A S T. Um, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, to Nerdskies in a podcast. That's uh, just leave com. Be sure to leave comments and likes. We and help us out with like any suggestions. Sure to follow the shows, of course, on um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts because that's where we are. And so, yeah, folks, that's going to do it for this installment of Two Nerdskis in a Podcast. And so, from all of us here, live happily ever after. This is Eric. And this is Jeff. And there's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are truly going in life. So, please stay shiny, everyone. Have a good one. Next level. Next level.